this morning. It's my pleasure to welcome Sean Carew to our pulpit. He's the director of the Providence Rescue Mission, and he's going to be sharing from God's Word and also be sharing uh, about the work of the Providence Rescue Mission. Very excited to have him here with us. Um, I'll just share a little anecdote. Um, you know, the Providence Rescue Mission has been at work in Rhode Island for a while now, so much so that uh, when we were talking earlier, I was sharing how when I was in high school, um, my class went and we served at the rescue mission just for a day. Um, and so, and it's funny now how it brings this connection here. Um, so God's certainly been at work through their ministry, and I'm certainly eager to hear more about what Sean has to share this morning. Sean, would you come? Most welcome. Good morning. So when you're about to speak and the pastor tells that kind of story, yeah, you just feel old, <laughs> right? You, you know, seriously, think about it. You know, it wasn't too long ago I'd come to a church and nobody would know me because my wife and I came here in 1999 to start the mission and you felt young and you felt violent. It come in here, and when your pastor said that, I was like, oh, and I meant it like, praise God, you know, that I, and I walked away, I said, jeez, I need a nap. <laughs> jeez, a little, you know, but it's, it's a privilege, you know, I do when I hear things like that, and I, I realize what God has done uh, with the mission. It's uh, 23 years, 23 years ago, my wife and I came here. We left upstate New York. Uh, this was our third inner city mission. Uh, the first one we've ever started. Um, my wife was pregnant with our fourth child, who's now a youth pastor in Nevada, Missouri, and nobody knows where that is. I didn't until I took her out last June. But it's out in the mid farmlands of the United States. And we didn't have anywhere to live. We stayed at a youth cabin. We had 90 days when we got here to find a place to live, find a building, start the mission, and start raising money because we're 100% privately funded. And I remember standing, I'm a Rhode Islander now. Uh, this was a great church. It's only 15 minutes from my house, so it's in that window of drivability that half hour, 45 minutes, I'm not sure I'm coming. It's a long way. Uh, and I also, as a Rhode Islander, I only go to one beach, right? I go to Gansett. We don't say the whole word, right? And I remember back in 1999, standing waist high in the water, looking out over the Atlantic. And I was talking to God because he sent us here we didn't have anything. We left our home. We left everything. We didn't know anybody. We know nobody uh, when we came here. We couldn't even find Rhode Island. Now, this was back before Google. Like, if you said Google in 1999, people thought you were kind of weird. Um, so you had maps. The big, the big thing was MapQuest when that came out. That got me lost a couple of times. Um, but... We thought this was part of Cape Cod. We couldn't find Rhode Island on the map, and, and we found it. And 
So I was standing in the surf in 1999 looking out over the Atlantic thinking, my goodness, God, what are you doing here? How are we going to start this mission? How are we going to do this? And we had, and I was telling your pastor, not us personally, but the mission had $4,500 and I think $62 in the business account. That's what we came here with. And we had 90 days to find a new pro- find a place to live, to start a building by, we had to be doing services by September. It was June, 90 days. It was a 90-day window. And I'm standing, we had to start raising money. Imagine raising money and you don't know anybody. In New England, by the way. In New England, by the way. Imagine coming to a church and saying, hey, we're privately funded, and yada, yada, yada. And you just think, we'll pray for you. And I'm standing in the surf, and I said, God, how are we going to do this? This is just bat crazy. I can't believe my wife came. Uh, My oldest son was very upset. He was just going into high school. I yanked him out of the church that we had been involved in up in Schenectady, New York, for a long time. I'm like, my goodness, I know we're supposed to be here. How are we going to do this? How are we going to raise this money? And it was funny. God spoke to me. He said, that's not your job. Your job is to preach the gospel to the poor. Your job is to care for the poor. Your job is to bring that opportunity for the people of Rhode Island that love me to do that. He says, I'll take care of the money. Now, it's easy to say I said praise God, and I just believe that. But I did, but, you know, I'm a human. And so our first year's budget was $82,000. $82,500. And fast forward to this past year, and our budget's $1.2 million, $1.4 million. I'm still standing in the surf, still saying, God, $1.2, $1.4 million. How are we going to raise what, how, how am I going to raise this? And God so faithfully said, uh, I've been telling you this for 22 years, almost 23 years now, Sean. That's not your job. Your job is to preach the gospel, care for the poor, bring that opportunity to the brothers and sisters of Christ. And I can tell you the reason why I tell you that story is God has been incredibly faithful. He has been faithful at the rescue mission. The thing about a gospel rescue mission is this, is it's different than a church. It's different than being a pastor. I was saying to your pastor, I'm just the groundskeeper. That's what I do. I had a very successful businessman. He actually got saved. I had the privilege of leading him to Christ at the mission years ago. And he's a very close friend of mine and confidant. It was very successful. And he said something interesting. He said, a rescue mission, if you look at it from a business model, a business model, that they teach you in college, that classic business model of what you have to do for a business to be successful, he said it should absolutely be a failure. He said it doesn't make sense. He said, but when you put the word God in that, it's a total success. And that's what it is. God has taken a little building on Cranston Street, 627 Cranston Street. We now have three properties, but... That was the main property. That's where we do the bulk of ministry is 627 Cranston Street. 
He took us from our first service, the first service we do. We do chapel service every night. Every night we do chapel service. It's a very distinctive part about the rescue mission. The rescue mission does a lot of things that social services do, social service organizations do, Crossroads, Macaulay House, uh, Advent House, things like that. Worthwhile organizations. We, we don't look at them and say, oh, you're horrible. They're very worthwhile organizations. But we're fundamentally different because while those folks believe that if we help people with their physical needs, their life will change, we will say to you, no, we'll say to you, no, that the Bible says you must be born again. The Bible says clearly that it's only a regeneration in our bodies, in our spirit, in our soul, where we get set free. Amen? And I'm, and I'm going to talk about that just real quick because I gotta, I'm technologically advanced dangerously. You can ask anybody that works with me. They give me things. They don't allow me to touch many computers. That's the way it is. So the question becomes is that key, that preaching the gospel, that caring for the poor, is that biblical? Is that something we should be focused on as an individual, as a church body, as organizations? And I like to start there. Um, Okay, I just had to check the clock. I, I get going, and sometimes during football season, people, people get edgy during football season because they're going to miss the game, you know. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But So I found these two parts of scriptures that I think that really kind of causes to tie this in, right? So the first part is in Matthew 25, in Matthew 25, starting around verse 31. It's a longer scripture, but we know the scripture, it, it's where there's the sheep and the goats come before the judgment seat they come before christ and when jesus is talking to his sheep he says the king says in 34 he says come you blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for as i was hungered you gave me food i was thirsty you gave me drink I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and yet you came to me, and they looked at him, and they said, when did we do any of these things? That's a great question. You got the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's going to say that to us. He's gonna, this isn't like for them. This is for us, right? Someday we're going to stand, those that are born-again believers, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, saved, sanctified, secured in your knowledge of Christ Jesus, you and I will hear this. Sometimes we read the Bible and we go, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's so inspiring. This is not inspiring. This is truth. You and I are going to hear this. This is prophetic. It gets me a little tingly. Right? And I think I'd be that same person, too. You've got to imagine, now, you're talking, you're hearing from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Right? You're hearing from God himself. God's going to be speaking to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I have no idea how I'm going to react to this scenario. I have a feeling I could be on my face. I'm not sure. It's like we read this stuff and we go, oh, that's just great. I can hardly wait to hear from Jesus. I don't think so. I think it's going to be the king of kings telling us this stuff, and we're going to ask the questions just like this. When do we do this? When, what are you talking about? I paraphrase, that's not in the King James, that's just me paraphrasing there. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it unto 
me. Cool, right? But how does that happen? Because the problem with this is, the challenge I find, the comparing idea that I find out of this is Acts 3.6. Or not Acts 3.6, I'm sorry. Um, Ephesians 2.5 and 2.6. It says, And even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive again with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised up with him and made us to sit with him in heavenly places. The reason why I bring that up is think about this. It says, you and I in our trespasses are dead. We're dead. We're not alive. And we again, we read those scriptures and we say, oh, geez, that must be horrible to be dead. And we don't really, I'm weird. I visualize. I'm a visualization guy. I, I see things and, and how do I really get an understanding of stuff? I, I got to kind of put it into scenarios. And, and I think of that idea of being dead this way, if you can. Imagine, if you will, because up here in Matthew, there's this whole being alive thing, and we're busy, and we're, we're doing things, and we're, we're caring for people, and we're, we're feeding, and we're giving somebody something to drink, and we're clothing the naked, and we're, we're going to prisons, and it's becoming an important part of our life. But in our sin, we're dead. An example would be me. Back until 1989... I was an atheist. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was vice president of municipal trading for a brokerage firm. Money was my God. It was. My friends and I in the brokerage business had a saying. First, we were the masters of our own universe. Very arrogant. Secondly, he who dies with the most toys wins. Fallacy. I was dead. Yet here I stand today. I think God has just a huge sense of humor that he lets me preach at pulpits. I mean it. I'm serious. You know, you know leave it to be for some, well, you, you guys are young. You might, any of the older folks there, I see people my age. Remember leave it to beaver? Yeah, yeah. Remember Eddie Haskell? I was Eddie Haskell with drugs. If you can identify, that was me, right? So think about it. How did a guy like that a selfish, self-centered, arrogant, prideful, user of men, user of women, thief, murderer, hater of people, hater of God. True, that's who I am. That's who I was. That was my DNA. And the reason why I use the phrase DNA, it's interesting because the phrase that DNA means, and I know most people know this, but I needed to see this today, is DNA is the chemical name for the moleculars that carry your genetic instructions in your life. It makes you who you are. DNA makes you genetically who you are, your DNA characteristics. It's your thumbprint, right? And they tell us that thumbprints can't be altered. I say to you, it's a lie. Because when I became born again, when Jesus Christ saved that wicked man, I was dead. I was like a guy, when we think about death, that, I use this example to kind of drive it home. Guy knew he was dying, right? So he prepared. He wanted to wear a certain shirt, certain jewelry, his favorite chain, 
certain shoes, right down to his socks. He even had his lucky boxer briefs that he wanted to be put on him, right? So now he dies. Now he'd been married to this woman for about 45 years. And she goes to the funeral home, and she's got a garbage bag. And she walks in, and the funeral director says, we're so sorry for your loss, but you don't have to worry about anything because your husband has given us the things he needs. It's spelled out exactly how he wants to be put in the casket for his viewing, so we're going to take care of everything. And she goes, oh, no. She goes, that's not what he's going to wear. And she says, you know, for most of our marriage, he was really a mean man. And I didn't like what he did to me or our kids. And behind closed doors, he was a really, really nasty guy. And he caused me a lot of hurt and pain. I brought his clothes. This is how he's going out. She opens the bag, and there's a bozo the clown suit. Red, fiery hair, bulbous nose, white makeup. The blue suit with the buttons and the big shoes so big that they're going to have to open the back end of the casket for the shoes to stick up, right? Now, my question is, we know the man wanted to be buried a certain way, correct? What could he do to change that? Not a daggone thing. He's dead. He's dead. Paul writes, know you not that you're dead in your sin and trespass. The reason why I bring that up is because here in Matthew, this is somebody that has life. Life, where we're going to be set down with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to say, well done. I'm in. I'm, think about that. He's going to say, I have trouble with this, but I'm excited. Well done. A little wicked, little Eddie Haskell drug-dealing sinner like me? Well done? Why? Because I was born again. And when I was born again, I got a new DNA. And I got a DNA of Matthew, this desire, this urge. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel it when you see the poor? Don't you feel it when you see injustice? We never cared. Before Christ, we never cared. We only cared about things that took care of us. We might have put on a show, but when it got down to it, it was all about us, right? That's what sin is. See, what I'm saying is, is this is exciting, this is great, but now how do we get here? We have this compulsion, we have this urge, we have this new DNA. We're, we're not that person. I'm not that person I was. As a matter of fact, I know people still back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up, <laughs> that if they ever saw me on YouTube or Facebook or something, they'd say, whoa, that can't be him. That, that is not, that's got to be a different Sean Carew. There's no way that Sean Carew that I knew is up there. He may look a little, maybe it's a brother. Maybe he had an illegitimate twin brother nobody talked about. But I'm a new creation. I've been born again. That's the whole key of the gospel. It's not about things. It's not about um, um, I get anymore. It's about I got the best thing ever, salvation. I got a new life. I'm not who I was. And I can't wait to share that. There's a scripture, and I didn't prepare it, but, it, but I uh, 
don't know exactly where it is because I'm one of those guys I know scripture, but I'm, memorization, I can't give you like, I never went to Bible college, seminary, all that good stuff. I got saved. I started doing street ministry, and here I am. And I said, well, God's got a sense of humor, I'm telling you. But I know scripture, but I can't say, well, Mark 25, 2, or da-da-da-da. I know it, but I'm just not there. But the, it's where the, the man with the legion of demons, right? And, and when Christ casts the demons out, and they go into the pigs, and, uh, you know, that whole town's livelihood was thrown into the ocean, and they begged Jesus to leave. And the guy that had the legion of demons, two interesting things. It's kind of a life verse for me. It says that they found him clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> that was me. And secondly, he went to get on the boat with Jesus, right? Which made total sense because they didn't want him around in that town anyhow. But Jesus says something there. He says, no, you can't go. And in the King James, it says that he went out. He, Jesus says, you go and tell your friends and neighbors the great mercy God had on you. And it goes on to say that in the King James that he went back and he published. And that's an important word, publish, because publish is an act of commerce. Publish, to publish means it's an act of business. There's one thing for me to tell you things, but when I'm publishing something, that's commerce. So, i.e., he made it his job, his life, to tell people the great mercy God had on him. Amen? See what I'm saying? So sometimes... We have that DNA in us, but it's a lot harder to exercise the DNA. I'm actually getting to the mission through this roundabout way. You're going to see it in a second. And we see that. So we see like Peter, right, the day not long after Pentecost. Everybody knows that, uh, that story, Acts 3.6, where Peter's going to temple, right? And he sees the paralyzed man begging. He says, he says look at me. He says, silver and gold have I none, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. Well, the interesting fact about that is, is back in the time of G Peter and Jesus, but Peter at the time, so we're talking about it, when they went to temple in Jerusalem, the road to the temple was lined with beggars, paralyzed, blind, shriveled hands, amputees, birth defects, People that had one leg shorter than the other. They couldn't walk. They couldn't fight. Because back then there was no social service net whatsoever. So if people didn't give them relief, they would die. You see it again in the Pool of Siloam where there's all these, these people trying to get in the water when the, when the angel stirs the water and the people come and minister to them. So you see this. My point is, is when people went to worship back at the time of Peter, the poor were prevalent in their face every week. Every week they saw the poor on their way to worship God. We don't see that today. So it's a bit more challenging for us. We have this new DNA, right? This whole idea of we're going to be told by God, well done, my good and faithful servant. You, you fed me, you took care of me, bum, 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 bum. And we're saying, how do we do this? That's the gospel rescue mission. So the mission, what we do, is we partner with churches, individuals, and businesses, and we preach the gospel in word and deed. So every night we have a chapel service. Normally it's a different church comes down. They'll bring a church group. They'll bring people from their church. It might be their pastor. It might be a lay pastor. 30-minute chapel service. Everybody goes to chapel at the mission. Everybody goes. I'm kind of like Popeye. I am what I am. Okay? Because to me, the food and that's all great. 
But none of that's going to save you eternally. What's going to save you eternally is somebody telling you Christ died for your sins. Where you are today, God never intended you to live this life. He never wanted you to be a drug addict, homeless, prostitute. Because we deal with all that. Human trafficking, top on the list. Our women's shelter is full of human trafficking. Am I not correct, ladies? I have a couple of ladies in the back. If you had a chance to talk to Jennifer uh, or Doreen, please do. They're wonderful ladies. They minister to the homeless women that come. Human trafficking, drug addiction, physical abuse, mental abuse, alcoholism, mental health. I tell people, when you look at the mission, you have to realize something. There's only three types of people on this earth, biblically. There's those that are born again and spirit-filled, and we can all argue. I don't argue about spirit-filled. I was talking to your pastor before. The mission's kind of like the Switzerland of denominations. We don't get into any denominational conversation. Our conversation is, you must be born again. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Do you know where you're going to go when you die? Are you going to heaven? Because we deal with death a lot closer than a lot of other places. Okay? But that's the spirit-filled people. Then there's the demonically oppressed, and there's demonically possessed. See, there's no good people on the face of the earth. Jesus tells us that. He says, there's none good. No, not one. But in our world today, we, we get bombarded with this idea, well, you know, they're basically a good person. No, they're not. There's no basically good. You can't be basically good if you're not born again because the Bible says there's no good in us except that of Christ Jesus. And see, that's contrary to what we get bombarded with on social media and on television and in music and in everything. It's this idea of live and let live. And God loves everybody. He does. He sent his son to die on the cross. He loved everybody so much. But loving you and identifying with you are two different things. And at the mission, we use everything to give everybody that opportunity to identify with God on God's terms through Jesus Christ. It's one of the most important segments that separates us from any other organization. And we do it in partnership with people like you. And we're 100% privately funded. And we don't charge a penny for anything we do. We give it away. As it comes in, we give it out. We don't store up. We give it away. It's a crazy thought, but it works. First opened the doors of the mission, four people came to chapel service. Now we average close to 100 people a night at our chapel dinner and sheltering program. Every night, women and men stay at the mission. Hot shower. And we do sit-down dinner, by the way. So we cook and we serve. So if you came down as a church, you would do the chapel service. 30 minutes, you can sing, you can preach, you can do an altar call. Then the people go in to sit down, and you serve them dinner. Oh, when were you hungry and I fed you? Oh, I get it. All right? We give out clothing, toiletry supplies. If you go into our women's shelter, when I show a tour of the mission, and I get them to our women's side, our women's emergency shelter, the most excited room to me is the bathroom. I know that sounds weird. But the ladies have done such a good job on our staff. The bathroom has curling irons, hair dryers, toiletries, creams, lotions, feminine pads, clean underwear. 
when was I naked and you, you clothed me? Oh. Food. We serve close to 7,000 meals a month on our property at night, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're the only walk-in shelter in the state for homeless people. Emergency walk-in, we're the only place you can walk in. That's it. It's us. One-year discipleship program, men and women. For those that don't want to live the way they've been living, they want more clinical Christian counseling, Bible studies, life skills, job training. We do that. We have a women's house on, in South Providence that's a more of a safe house. Uh, women on the program are women RAs that help the women on the street live there. Food to the homeless that don't come in. We have a team that goes out, I think it's twice a week right now. Do you know, Jennifer, it's a, I know it's twice. I can't remember. It's three times maybe? Yeah, I can't I think it's three times. I think 1,300 meals a week to the folks living in tents and in the woods and down by the rivers. We go and we feed them. We bring them blankets. We tell, try to get them to come into the mission, give them a track, pray for them. Crazy thought. Food right now, since the pandemic started, and it's kept up even though things are loosening up now, we provide food boxes, about 40 pounds of food, to over 6,000 families in Rhode Island weekly. Weekly. And we harvest all that food. It was all being thrown away. It was food, good food that was being thrown away. And we, we partner with Capital Grill. We partner with Starbucks. We partner with Trader Joe's. We partner with um, all sorts of different places. What's that? Chipotle. Chipotle. You like Chipotle. We partner with Chipotle, Jennifer. And we provide fresh vegetables and dairy products. And, and we give people just at Thanksgiving. So we do two big events, Thanksgiving and Christmas, differently. So Thanksgiving, we try to have those two events, we have try to have the fewest homeless and poor people in the mission than any other time of the year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Why? Because there's no dignity bringing your kids to a mission on Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? So we do food boxes with turkeys. We couldn't get, last two years because of COVID, we couldn't get the number of turkeys we needed. So we had to do turkeys and chicken. People say I'm the king of cluck in Rhode Island. Um, we did 7,100 families at Thanksgiving this year. And with 40 pounds of food, that was about 30 servings. So that was close to 220,000 servings of meals. Crazy thought, a little rescue mission, standing in the surf in Narragansett Town Beach in 1999 with a budget of $85,000. I smile because God's a good God, isn't he? Christmas, we allow the parents to come. We set up the mission like a store. We get all the toys. We partner with restaurants and churches, and we get new toys, and the parents come. And we let them pick the toys out, and then we have a wrapping station, and we wrap them and give them the toys. So on Christmas Day, the kids never hear about the mission and the dignity of the parents that they get to be parents. It's kind of cool. So those are the just some of the things we do at the mission and, and what we're about. Um, just want to make sure I didn't miss anything here. How you can be involved. Three things. Um, you may be sitting here and saying, wait a second, I'm, I'm too old to get down to the mission. Um, that's okay. 
we need prayer. The Bible says, how does this go about without prayer and fasting? We need prayer. We, we, we invite the demonic into our property every day. We do. We do. Don't think that when people that are heroin addicts and prostitutes, don't think that's the life they wanted. Don't, don't think people get that confused. They say, well, people are choosing to live that way. Not really. They, they don't know how to get out. They're, they're locked in. The devil's got them. The devil's got them. And most of them die. Most of them die. We deal with death on a very, very, especially with fentanyl now. We deal with death on a very, very real level uh, at the mission because somebody can be sober and on our program and relapse and the first time they go out and relapse, there's fentanyl and the heroin, and they die. See, people don't overdose anymore. You need to understand this. Is it's not about overdosing because that's, not, that's what it was before fentanyl. You could overdose. You could do too much heroin, or you didn't want to live anymore, so you took too many pills and mixed them with alcohol, and you overdosed, and you killed yourself. That was real. Now with fentanyl, it's not. Fentanyl is primarily imported from China. It's going through the cartels down in Central and South America. It's coming up through Mexico and Arizona, and they've gotten so good with it that they are now making it look like Adderall and other pills that people sell on the street that you would get from your doctors. And the problem with fentanyl is, is you don't know it's there, and somebody relapses, and they take it, and it just shuts your breathing. It's just shuts your, what fentanyl does, it just shuts your respiratory system down. So you never know that's going to happen to you when you relapse. We've seen so many people just this past year, people in strong ministry positions that relapsed. They went back out and they didn't know and gone. And so that's real for us. And so this is spiritual. This isn't physiological or emotional or even mental. There may be crossover components of that, but this is a bondage that I'll tell you. I, I talk to homeless people all the time when I preach. And I, tell, I ask them, I say, anybody here that thinks being an addict and homeless is what they were looking for their whole life, raise their hand. Nobody ever puts their hand up. They didn't do it in career day either. They didn't do it when the teacher said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Juan put his hand up and said, I want to be a doctor. And Jim put his hand up and said, I want to be a pastor. And, 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 and Susie put her hand up and said, I want to be a doctor. <laughs> I didn't put my hand up and say, I want to be a homeless drug addict. Right? So if that's not what you wanted to be, how did you get here? And that's the twist, and that's, what, and that's what we work with, and that's what we unravel. And so you can pray for us. Prayer is an important part of that. It really, really is. You can volunteer. You can come to the mission. You can talk to Jennifer after service, fill out a form, get involved. Give somebody a cup of water. Give somebody a bowl of soup. Help them get a hat. Best story I had recently I was coming out of our administration building, and the, uh, the women's bench where the women sit is right outside our door where I come out, and there was this woman, and I didn't know her, and there was another woman, and I didn't know her, and I just assumed that they were both homeless women staying at the mission, and they looked at me, and I said, good evening, ladies, and they said, hi, and the one woman walks up to me, and she goes, I want to introduce myself, and I said, well, of course you do, and she says, my name is, what's... Lorinda, 
I'm glad. You notice I need Jennifer a lot here. I need a lot of help. And she says, my name's Lorinda, and I work here now. And I remember vaguely our women's assistant director saying they were bringing a Lorinda on on the third, second ship. And she goes, I was just talking to this woman and giving her a coat. It was cold outside. It was cold outside. She didn't have a coat. I was giving her a coat because that's what we do. We get Ralph, we, we get good coats. We get Ralph Lauren coats. We, we, we've got Ralph Lauren giving us coats. And so we give them the good stuff. And, uh, and she looked at me and Lorenda said, I just want to thank you. I said, I don't know you. She goes, the mission saved my life two or three years ago. I said, pardon me? She goes, yes, I was staying here. I saw Christ here. When I was naked, you clothed me. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. She said, it's my privilege to be on this property. And I thought to myself, God, you are just crazy. That's the mission. She used to come here. Now she gives here. And you can be part of that. And you can contribute. You can write, you can go online, you can contribute. It cost us about $2,500 a day to operate. I'll just leave that there. But you're welcome. And I hope to do more. And I hope you're encouraged. Because we have a new DNA. And I'm telling you, the more you use it, the more you're going to love it. Pastor, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Yeah. Let's pray together for Sean and the rescue mission. Dear Father, uh, we just thank you for our brother Sean and for all those who work at the province rescue mission and um, how you are rewarding them in their faith and trusting in you and this work and rewarding them to be able to uh, to be able to to know that in their serving those who are so downtrodden and impoverished and struggling with demons, Father, that, that in that service they know they, that they're serving you. And so, Father, we pray that you would just bless them immensely. And, Father, that you would stir us up to know how we might be able to help them. And just simply, Father, just to serve those who are in similar positions um, as those that they're serving, Father. Um, so we just pray that as your children, that you would put us to work uh, to glorify your name. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon that Sean Carew, Director of the Providence Rescue Mission, offered to Rockland Community Church. Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Situate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Situate Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.